tonight we're going to start a new book. We're in the Song of Solomon. And so if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and open up there as we finish uh, the poetical books. And uh, I've never taught the Song of Solomon. So um, I've read it, but I've never really kind of dug into it. And as I was digging into it today, I was like, whoa, this is heavy stuff. This is intimacy between a man and a woman. This is very deep stuff. And so uh, if you're here and you're married one day, uh, maybe in the future for some of you, I would encourage you to study this book with your spouse. It is so beautiful. It is so so intimate. It is, um, you know, you guys know there's different words in the Greek for love. You have agape love, which is God's divine love. You have phileo, which is more of a, of a friendship love or brotherly love. You have storge, which is a family love. And then you have eros, which is more of a romantic love. And um, God is a romantic God. You know, God is uh, who invented that, that, the whole romance thing. And a lot of times what happens with guys is they are romantic and, until they get married. And then when they get married, they lose that romance. And so the Song of Solomon, it'll kindle. It'll kindle it up. I'm telling you, man, it'll really spark a fire in your relationship. And you might wonder, well, why is God talking about like sexual stuff? Why is God talking about intimate stuff like that? It's because, um, you know, he loves us. He made us that way. He loves to bless us. He loves families. You guys know that. We talk a lot about that, how important families are. And a big part of, you know, husband and wife and families is the, the intimacy, uh, the deep intimacy that we can have together as couples. And so, a uh, great book. Um, I decided I'm not going to go in-depth with you. Maybe one day when a marriage fellowship will do, uh, but for us as a congregation, we can't go too deep. Uh, we'll probably try to cover the book in four studies. As a matter of fact, we have an outline here, I think we do, that I want to show you that more or less uh, divides up the book, okay? So in the first uh, section that we're going to see today, it, it talks about the couple that it's engaged. And so they're an engaged couple. Anyone here engaged? I'm just curious. Okay, so you guys all got it wrong because you are all engaged, except for those that raise their hand. <laughs> Did you guys know that you're engaged? Who are you engaged to? You are engaged to Jesus Christ. We are engaged. We are looking forward to a wedding. A lot of what we're going to see today, yeah, it's, I think, first applicable to husband and wife or, you know, couple, man and woman. But ultimately, uh, as if you're, especially if you're a Spurgeon fan, he really just totally took this as Christ in the church. Christ in the church, and it's beautiful. Your relationship with God should be loving, should be passionate, should be deep, should be intimate, should be beautiful. And so, um, you know, just know that we are all engaged to Him, and we are looking forward to this amazing intimacy one day that we will have when the bride of Christ is wedded to Jesus. And so, uh, we see here um, falling in love or the core. Um, this couple that we're going to look at tonight, they're betrothed. They're engaged to each other. So they're not flirting with each other. It's different like if you got a guy and a gal and they're flirting and they're kind of like talking sexual stuff. No, this is a couple that is engaged. This is a couple that is betrothed. And so they're looking forward to something that's already being set in motion. And so that'll be tonight. And then we'll see next week, Lord willing, that they're going to get married and where they're going to be united in love. And so you have the courtship, then you have the wedding. And then as time progresses, we're going to see uh, that there's a little problem, there's a little struggle. Um, when you're you know, married, it's not always easy. You have to work through certain things. And so falling in love, united in love, struggling in love. And then at the end, we're going to see growing in love. And so today, again, um, we're going to talk about the courtship. And uh, written by Solomon, uh, there are a few people out there who doubt his authorship, but everything about it makes perfect sense. Um, some would say, no, it's a later date, but it has to be someone who wrote the book before Israel was divided. And so the only one that makes sense is Solomon. Uh, uh, the rabbis thought it was him. The early church thought it was Solomon. 
And it's interesting, when you read the scriptures, you find that Solomon, according to 1 Kings 4.32, he wrote 3,000 proverbs and 1,005 songs. So move over Beatles. I mean, we're talking about a guy who wrote a lot of songs. And uh, it's interesting, though, because we only have one recorded. Now, when you look at it tonight, it's a trip because it's almost like a musical. Do any of you guys like plays, musicals? I love them. I totally love them. There's a new one out in the movies. I, I, I heard it was good. I kind of want to see it. But, um, you know, uh, this is kind of what this is. It's a musical, uh, and you're going to have different characters. You're going to have the, the Shulamite. You're going to have the Beloved, who is a representative of Jesus, or the guy. And then you have the brothers, you have some of the gal friends that are involved. And so it's going to be cool. Those, um, you're going to see them probably in your Bible. They're not inspired. They're not part of the original. But it's interesting when you look at the Hebrew, you can look at the grammar and you can more or less see the different uh, conversations, the different people speaking. And so it's kind of cool in that. And so um, Solomon wrote 3,000 proverbs. He wrote 1,005 songs. But you're like, well, why is it only one is preserved for us? Well, well, it's because only one was inspired by God. And that's why it's called the Song of Songs. Some people will call it the Song of Songs. It's like the best of all his songs. It's the song, the song that stands out uh, regarding uh, the ones that Solomon wrote. And so, you guys, we're going to talk about things that are intimate. Um, I got to be really careful because I know there are some that are kind of like PG-13. I got to uh, be careful with that. But I do, at the same time, have to try my best to teach it accurately to you. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews 13.4 that the marriage bed is undefiled. And you know, it's important for people to know that sexual intimacy is not bad. Some people look at it and they think, oh, God doesn't like that. No, God invented that. You know, it's good, it's beautiful within the confines of marriage. And we're going to see that today. And later in 1 Corinthians 7, if you get a chance, maybe you guys can check it out in verses 3 and 4. It talks about how there, that needs to be a healthy part of a marriage. One day, for some of you here, you're not married yet. Okay, wait until you get married. And then when you get married, understand that that sexual intimacy part of your marriage is good and you need to be engaged in that. If you're not, then you're, uh, something's wrong. And so it's a healthy part of a healthy marriage, okay? So those are things that we need to know. Pastor Tony Evans said, The Song of Solomon is a very tender, touching, and yes, sensual book given to us so that we can understand not only how we can relate to God, but how he wants us to relate to one another within the context of marriage. And so um, let's look at this real quick. In verse 1, it's, it's called the, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And then we have in reference to the Shulamite, she's the gal, she's the one that's engaged to the beloved. It says in verse 2, let him kiss me with kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Because of the fragrance of your good ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. Draw me away. And so um, I'll just shoot, you know, like off the cuff. I, um, I don't know how you guys feel about this. Um, some people think I'm really old-fashioned because I kind of think that you should wait until you get married before you start making out, you know, kissing. And I'm sorry if I, I don't want to make anybody upset with that. But um, And then, I don't know, you know, maybe you will kiss before you get married. There's something about when you get married, you, the, the pastor says you may kiss your bride. Some people, when they look at verse 2 right here, they say that she's looking forward to the kiss. Everything we're going to see here is she's looking forward to it. You know, she's waiting, and then she's looking forward to, to the kiss, um, making out, you know, um, looking forward to a life of love. And I tell you what, to really be under the influence of love is an awesome thing. You know, for a husband and a wife to say they, to, they, to, to really love each other, 
You know, wine, it brings a certain, whatever, superficial joy, temporary happiness. You know, you're under the influence of some artificial substance that's not even real, but to be under the influence of love. And, and, and Hebrew commentators will tell us, though, and here's where it can get tough, that, that what she's doing is she's connecting the love part with the, with the sexual intimacy, with the physical union. And she's actually thinking and talking about that stuff. In the context, she was longing for physical expressions of his love. Now, of course, we know kissing and all that stuff in and of itself is, doesn't necessarily mean that you love one another, right? But if you do love one another and you're married, um, I think that those are things that God has given us to express our love, Right? As a matter of fact, some couples, when they get married, they don't even kiss. They don't hardly even kiss. I remember watching one movie, and they showed these. The, you know how they would go in the, the, the baseball um, um, games, and they show the kissing cams? Have you guys ever seen that? And so there, <laughs> there was this one a couple. They just kind of pecked, you know, real, 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 and they're like, oh, they must be married, you know? And I thought, that, well, that's kind of weird. You know, couples um, kissing, making out, is good. You know, it, it's important, I think. I, I really do. I remember one time we, I asked the couples at a retreat to make out, and I, I don't know if everybody did, but um, I think it's, it's, a, it's a really important thing. I remember a, a song that came out a, a while ago, it said that that's how you can tell if they love you, uh, the way they kiss you. Now, of course, we know that that's not true, right? The way that you, if you know someone loves you is if they, they, they put you before themselves, is, is if they care for you with God's love. We, we know that. But there is something in a kiss, especially, if I can just say this, especially when you're married. You guys should really, we should be really kissing each other with, with love. It says in verse 2, again, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. She's looking forward to that. For your, your love, and that's all the physical stuff connected to it as well, is better than wine. Because of the fragrance of your good ointment, and so he's got deodorant on, he's smelling good, right? Um, but at the same time, she says, your name is ointment poured forth, therefore the virgins love you. And so he smelled good, but more importantly, and I would say this, guys, come on, you know, smell good for your wife, and hopefully the gals feel the same way. Usually that problem's not there, you know, but sometimes uh, we forget. Um, you know, even I, I'm weird. I have body spray, believe it or not. My wife and kids do buy it for me, but I always put it on every day. You know, maybe a little cologne, of course, deodorant, you know, um, floss your teeth, brush them, use some, uh, you know, whatever. What's that stuff called? Mouthwash, yeah, I use that. You know, so pay attention to stuff like that. But more importantly, it says right here, your name is ointment poured forth. And, and what does that mean, you guys? It means that when they think of you, your character, who you are as a man, who you are as a woman, that, that that's a beautiful, like, fragrance and, and so, you know, again, Tony Evans said, in this sense, the name refers to character, to reputation, regardless of how appealing a man is on the outside, he's of little worth if his character is ungodly. And so, you know, when she's thinking of her, the guy that she's going to marry, she's thinking of him, she's just, man, this guy, he's, a, he's just a godly man. You know, he was therefore a, a wanted man. And so, looking again at this, there's no doubt, like I said, they're, they're not flirting. She's not flirting with him. She's engaged to him. Okay, it's a big difference, you guys. If you're not, you know, engaged to someone, then you probably, you shouldn't be doing stuff like this. You know, and that, that's a whole conversation in and of itself. Who knows, one day we'll probably have the young adults come and they say, hey, how do you guys do it nowadays, you know? But um, more than likely, the way that I would say for you young people is, you know, first you have your relationship with God first. And then after that, you know, as you're fellowshipping with Christians, as you're living life, as you're, as you're seeking Him, then you become friends with different people. you just just friends, and you have to try so hard to keep it that way because then you get to know people. 
you get to know how they really are. Do they have a, a character that is like Christ? You know, do they have that, that name? And then as you're praying and you're seeking God and you're just asking him for marching orders, then he takes it to the next step, which is not dating. It's not dating. It's like, okay, I'm going to enter into a relationship and we've been friends and all this kind of stuff because now we call it courting. Now I'm, I'm in, I intend to marry you. I'm not going to go and date this person and break up, date, break up, date, break up because then all you're learning how to do is get little divorces. No, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, as the Lord shows me, uh, I, I do intend to marry you. And so I, I, it takes time. You know, so what we're seeing right here is this, this Shulamite, she really knows the character of this guy, and she's excited about the wedding day. It's probably not far away, and she, she even says right there, draw me away. And then in, in verse 4, it, the daughters of Jerusalem say, uh, we will run after you. And one of the things that you're going to see in the book is the girls are all excited. They're all giddy. You know how girls are, huh? And I, I think it's a beautiful thing, too, to see the girls are happy for the bride or they're happy for the girl that's engaged and they just kind of jump all in, right? And we'll see it more as we go through here. And then it says, the king has brought me into his chambers. And, and one commentator said that this may be rendered as a request, uh, may the king bring me into his chambers. And that's probably what she's talking about and in this sense, again, she was expressing her desire for intimacy and marriage with her lover. Okay, so uh, we're going to see there's a lot of that because we're made that way. You know, you don't have to necessarily, I mean, we can't help it. I mean, once you hit a certain age and those hormones start kicking in, you know, that's who we are. So she's expressing this. She's looking forward to this. But we're going to see something that's so important as we go through here, they, that they exercise a restraint. Because look at verse 4. As the daughters of Jerusalem again respond, we will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love uh, more than wine. And so the Shulamite says again, rightly do they love you. I am dark, but lovely, O oh, daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not look upon me, or, or probably don't stare at me in, in amazement, because I'm dark, because the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They, they made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Now, this is a really fascinating section. Now, someone like maybe Tony Evans, he just says that she was dark or black and proud of it. But I think that other uh, translations and other commentators, they get it a, a little bit more accurately. In, in all reality, she was kind of uh, feeling a little insecure. You know, she apparently her brothers told her, you have to go and you have to take care of the, our vineyards. You got to get out in the sun and, and work and, and so that darkened her skin. And so some will say that in, in one sense, she was feeling a little insecure about her appearance. And there's a lot of girls like that. There's a lot of wives like that, as a matter of fact. They, they just feel, they feel bad about the way they look and like, don't stare at me or whatever. And, um, and, and, and what we're going to see through this Song of Psalm is so beautiful, is a husband just lifts her up. The husband just begins to compliment her. The husband begins to tell her, oh no, you're beautiful. You are beautiful. You are like a lily among the thorns. And, and it's a lot, I, I was reading and I'm like thinking, I'm like, you know what, I think that's what's going on here. She says, I'm dark but lovely. Um, like the tents of Kedar, she has that there. The, the, the tents of Kedar were woven with black uh, uh, wools, black wool. Uh, uh, um, goat's hair, and so, of course, they would be dark. Um, she says right here that uh, her brothers, and we're going to see they were not really good guys. They were angry with her, and so they made her work outside. It's interesting how she says right here, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Now, that might be in literally, like she, she took care of their vineyards, but not her own vineyard. It also might be in reference to the way that maybe she didn't take care of herself. So uh, we're not sure, 
maybe a little insecurity there. Again, I'm not 100% sure, but I know that she talks a little bit about it and she gives the explanation. And then uh, we read in verse 7, as she's addressing the beloved, she says, Tell me, O you whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon. For why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? And so um, one of the things that we're going to see about this engaged couple and about this gal is that she um, wants to spend time with him, understandably so. And so she's all like, tell me um, where you feed your flocks and, and where you rest at noon. Tell me, where can I find you? Where can we get together? Uh, where uh, should I go? I, I don't want to be around other guys. When she says right there, why should I be as one who avails herself by the flocks of your companions? She might be talking about um, even the way that some, some commentators say that the veil uh, veiling of herself would be the practice of some you know, prostitutes. You know, sleeping around. I don't want any of the other guys type of thing. Uh, tell me where you are. Tell me where I can find you. I just want to be with you, right? And so, again, um, that might be what it is, or it might just point to her uh, being sad that she's apart from him, you know? So, you know, she's got this desire to be with her husband. And I will, I will say this, and they're not married yet, but um, it's kind of interesting how the Jewish culture would, in one sense, define a betrothed couple and if you had to separate, you had to get a divorce. We know that's what happened with Mary and Joseph. So there's definitely this unique bond here. And so as she's you know, sharing all these things, thinking of engaged couples, thinking of those who are courting, it's applicable to marriage as well. You know, I, I, will, I will say that a lot of times what messes up marriages is just because the couples don't hang out with each other. They don't really have quality quantity time together and I'll, I'll be the first to admit how how you have to really be um what's that word not not um you have to be proactive you have to be proactive in this because it just automatically you drift into living your own life and you have your different obligations and you can go home and whatever you can watch the basketball game and you can do different things and 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 then i've had it where, I, where then I, at the end of the day i'm like man I don't even think I really sat down and had an eye-to-eye, heart-to-heart conversation with the one woman who God made for me that the best gift after salvation is my wife. And I'm doing other things. And so it's almost like she's saying, where are you? Where, where can I find you? Where, where do you? How about during your lunch hour at noontime? Where do you hang out? I just... You know, to be together. And so encouraging you guys to cultivate that. I know for me, um, the Lord's showing me. He'd stop, put the phone down, pay attention to your wife. Undivided. You know, going on walks together for me is probably one of the best things. Uh, because there's something about walking and talking that's really beautiful. So that's her heart. She's sharing all these things. Um, and then we finally read the words of the beloved in verse 8. He says, If you do not know, O fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats beside the shepherd's tent. I have compared you with my love to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with chains of gold. And he, and he basically says, here's where I am. Here's where you can find me, where we can be together. When he calls her the fairest among women, he calls her the most beautiful woman. And I think that, I don't know, you know, I, I just, I don't want to sound weird or anything, but I think that every husband should see his wife that way you're the most beautiful woman there's no one like you honestly i think that he affirms her beauty as husbands we have the power to tear them down or build them up and so we have to look at them through god's lenses 
and just, uh, I know, remind ourselves how beautiful they are and, and tell them that. Tell them that. And when you do, say it with sincerity and don't be one of those who says, well, I'm just not that kind of guy. Because that's the whole point of the Bible. The whole point of the Bible is to go against the grain of who you are. And, and maybe your wife doesn't like it. I don't know. But man, last time I checked, like all the girls like that kind of stuff, you know? They love it. The Lord knows. Like we as men, we tend not to be romantic, generally speaking, but they love to be romance. They love that. And not just playing games, you know, you're, you're meaning it. Right here, he compares her to his filly among Pharaoh's chariots. And um, you might think that's kind of weird. Um, but I don't know. Some say that that means that she brings excitement to his life. That with her, life is exhilarating. Because, you know, what a filly in a chariot, you know, I'm, I don't know. I'm thinking of like this hot car or whatever that's out there. You're like my you know, like my sports car or something, and you're like, what are you talking about? And so some, some say that, and, and it's kind of cool, because I will say this, that, you know, um, you should make life exciting for each other, right? And, um, and he just keeps those compliments coming. He notices the way her earrings accent her cheeks. And so when was the last time you complimented your wife's earrings? just out of curiosity, or the way the, the gold chains uh, adorned her neck. So beautiful, right? And so he's saying, she's saying, verse 11, it says, the daughters of Jerusalem, uh, as in, if those, those, those earrings look so good, we will make you ornaments of gold <laughs> with studs of silver. They said, we'll make you more earrings. Kind of cool. And so the Shulamite again speaks in verse 12. Well, while the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. A bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies all night between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blooms in the vineyards of En Gedi. And, and again, you guys, I can't go like really in depth but man, I challenge you husbands and wives, you know, just, you may, well, I'm not, I don't know Hebrew. I don't know, you know, I'm not a theologian. Just get a couple of commentaries and tell you they'll, they'll explain everything to you. And it'll be a really cool study together. You know, here she says, um, while they're eating, uh, she wants him to notice her, the way that she smells. Um, it, it's something that even he does to her, that he's a, a bundle of myrrh to her. And she looks forward to the night that eventually they'll be able to spend together. Um, verse 14, it mentions the henna blooms. And henna, it holds great significance in the Middle East, especially in, in weddings. Henna was an ornament for soon-to-be brides. And so um, it symbolized a fertility, um, it symbolized uh, good fortune and, and love. And so it's always held a romantic association. It goes way back to the times of, of Egypt in like 3000 BC. And so she's just really, um, and I, and I got to say this too, because sometimes girls don't talk that way to their guys and whatever. I don't know. When you're married, I think it, it would be good for both of you. Don't think, well, it's his job. He's got to do it, and he hasn't been doing it. You know, I don't know. There's something here that is a, a beautiful balance. Um, every couple is different. I don't want to overgeneralize, but I have a hunch that the guys might like it too. <laughs> so verse 15, the beloved says, Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair, you have dove's eyes. And that means that she does not cheat in Yahtzee. No, I'm just joking, doesn't mean that. <laughs> no, um, when he says you are fair, he says, that's ba he's basically saying you are beautiful. He just says that you are beautiful, my love. You are beautiful. You have dove's eyes. And the thing about a dove is it has what's called binocular vision, or, or one in which both eyes are used synchronously to produce a single image. And so there's a lot of symbolism, really, with the dove, the gentleness, 
the undistracted devotion. Um, Dr. Quinespeak, he was a theologian, he points out when, that when a dove fixes its gaze upon its mate, it is not distracted by any activities around it. And there's these doves called the mourning doves. Um, they're, it's interesting, in the animal kingdom, they're monogamous. They stay together for life, right? I think we have a couple of, uh, well, we have a picture of those, uh, those mourning doves. And um, that's just for life. You know, once they lock eyes, they're not distracted with any other dove. And for the rest of their life, they are, are monogamous. You know, it's common to see these types of doves cuddling with each other. And uh, another name for them is turtle doves. And so that's why, you guys remember that song, uh, Two Turtle Doves? That's why, because that's what they do. That's who you are. You know, and he's giving her, and he sees this in her. Uh, verse 16, the, the Shulamite, he says, Behold, she says, You are handsome, my beloved. And so she says, you're beautiful. And he, and she, I mean, he says, you're beautiful. And she says, you're handsome. You're so handsome. Your biceps are so big, you know, stuff like that. Yes, pleasant also. Our, our bed is green. The beams of our houses are cedar and our, our rafters are fir. I am the rose of Sharon and the, and the lily of the valleys. Uh, again, she compliments him, uh, pleasing beyond words you are. And right here where it says our bed is green, not really 100% sure what that means. It could be in reference to their couch or maybe even something else. Um, the, the term refers to the color, and some believe that it's actually in reference to the grass. And when you look at these verses right here, talking about the, the beams of our houses and the cedars and the rafters or fir, it, it, it kind of sounds like they're somewhere outside. And so some believe that basically what they're saying right here is that the young man and the young woman, if you can visualize them, they're lying down together on the grass in the woods, enjoying the delights. They, they liken the grass below and the green leaves above to a marriage couch or a canopied bed. And, and some even suggest that this pastoral setting might be the context in which they first met, that it was the field, so to speak, where they fell in love because it talks about the foundation of their, of their family. And so, you know, again, just beautiful imagery. Uh, she calls herself the Rose of Sharon, the, the Lily of the Valleys. Okay, so now some commentators will say that if she did start off a little bit insecure, that now her husband is, is giving her that security. Her husband is, is sharing and sincerity and loving and just building her up. And, uh, and so she calls herself this rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. But watch what he calls her in verse 2. It says, like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. What is he saying? Yeah, you, she says you're a lily in the valley. I say you're a lily among thorns. I say that every other one, they don't even begin to come. You're in a completely different category. You are my wife. You are mine. And we're going to see that even more. You know, and you guys have heard the love songs over the years. I was thinking of some love songs. No one like you. I remember there's a rock song we used to sing a long time ago. Paul McCartney has a song called My Love. You know, uh, so is my love, he says, among the daughters. And so uh, uh, verse 3, it says, Like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down in his shade with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. And so it's kind of cool the way that they're seeing each other, you guys. The way that they're seeing each other. Um, how she is the lily among the thorns, and now he's an apple tree in the middle of a forest where there's no other apple tree. There's no other fruit trees out there. And so he stands out, the, the only tree with fruit in the midst of the woods. 
Now here's something interesting, because remember, this is the, uh, the country, the nation of Israel, right? And so apple trees were not native to the area, and they had to be imported and cultivated. And to find the cultivated apple tree growing in the forest, among other wild trees, would be quite unusual. The apple tree would stand out and be a delightful surprise, like a cultivated apple tree. And the lover was unique and stood out among other men. In ancient Near Eastern love literature, the apple tree was a common symbol for romantic love and sexual fertility. And so, um, you know, she stands, she says, you stand out, you know, like a sore thumb. There's no one like you. And they're saying that to each other. Now, you might look at your husband and you say, yeah, man, but he, he's not an apple tree, you know, or whatever, you know. <laughs> make him one. You make him one. You guys know just as well as I do that Proverbs 31, it says, because this woman is so amazing that her husband stands in the gates. I mean, I'm not saying it's all up to the spouse. I know that people have to surrender their lives to the Lord, but I will say this, that as, as we love uh, each other, as we really begin to sue each other the right way, then it's going to blossom your wife, it's going to bless your husband, and he'll be that apple tree. And, and guys, you know, let's, let's be that. So it's a really cool thing uh, to see. And, and then the Shulamite daughters of Jerusalem, it says in verse 4, he brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with cakes of raisins. Refresh me with apples. Notice, for I am lovesick. Like she was like, you know, so in love. She could barely stand. His left hand is under my right hand head and his right hand embraces me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. And so verse 4 is, is, a, is a cool verse. The NLT says, he escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious how much he loves me. That's what it says when it says his banner over me is love. That's what that means. It is obvious. It is publicized. There's like a banner. There's like a flag. Everybody knows how much he loves me. And again, we're talking about a, a, a husband and a wife, but I hope for those of you, you know, it's also relevant to the way God loves us. And so it, it's so cool to, to read this right here. Uh, he makes no secret of his love for her, and he wants everyone to know that this is his treasure. And so, um, you know, when you see this right here, um, three things that are kind of cool in the, in, the, in the previous verses that I think are, are important for husbands. First, um, sitting in his shade in, in those days was a metaphor for protection. Not, not only in the Bible, but also in ancient literature. You know, here, is, isn't it kind of ironic how she used to work in the fields under the sun? She was all like sun tanned, and, and now she has a husband who's going to protect her from the heat. So, so one thing we see is that she felt protected by him. And husbands, we should protect our wives. Secondly, they cultivated the kind of relationship that allowed them to know each other intimately. Um, uh, the, word, the word taste, we see that earlier. Look again, if you would, in verse uh, 3. I sat down in his shade with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. And so the word taste expresses the knowledge of someone through intimate personal experience. How many of you guys have heard this passage before? Taste and see that the Lord is good. How do you taste and see that the Lord is good? It's by personal experience. And so he's protecting her with the shade, and as she's tasting the apples... It cultivates this relationship where they know each other intimately. And then thirdly, the beloved appreciated the fact that Solomon let others see his love for her. And that's what we were talking about right now, like a, like a banner, you know, like a, 
like a flag. Uh, Solomon's love for his beloved was easily seen by anyone who observed their relationship. And, and you might be saying, well, man, this is too good to be true. Man, this is like one of those you know, Disney you know, fairy tales or something. You know, and if that's your perspective, then, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not easy. But when God comes into a relationship, when you let him come into that relationship, when you understand as a priority, husband and wife, that it's not just put food on the table or whatever, you know, you got what you need financially. There's just so much, there's so much to this deep love, the agape love, the phileo love, the, the philos love, or Philadelphia love, and then the eros love. That's all part of the way that we're wired, the way that we're created. And that's why when I was thinking, Lord, why did you give us this book, Song of Solomon? It's kind of, you know, zesty or whatever. And the Lord is saying, because it's such a huge part of our heart. And maybe, I don't know how guys feel, but I, I know for sure uh, gals. And I think, of course, it works both ways. And so, you know, she's saying that, that she's weak with love in, in verse 6. And so give me some raisins and, and cakes and stuff because I need strength. And there in verse 7, um, notice how, again, um, verse 6, his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. Can you visualize that? You know, there's this, what's going on here? Um, basically, what we see is they're talking about that time of when they're intimate. Now, again, um, we have to go to verse 7 and, and read it again. Uh, it's important. And we're going to read this repeatedly. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. And, and so what is she saying? She's, it's actually in the Hebrew, it's a really heavy warning not to do something that would have destructive consequences. Don't be intimate until you're married. That, that's what she's saying. Even though they're betrothed and they haven't consummated the marriage, and we're going to see it next week, but she's also telling the girls, hey, whatever you do, don't, don't stir it up until uh, we're married. And so, as one commentary put it through this section, though this section abounds with expressions of sexual desire, great sexual restraint is exercised by the lovers. However, after the wedding procession, there is a notable absence of sexual restraint in the Song of Solomon. And so, um, we see here that... Uh, uh, don't stir it up until it's the right time. And so you're like, well, then why are we even talking about this? You know, <laughs> because if I'm a dad and I got my son and my daughter, whatever, they're 15, 16, 17 years old. You know, there's some parents that are like, don't even think that. Don't even think that. And, you know, whatever, they'll get on them. You can't even have those conversations. And, you know, no, this is who we are as creatures, you know, that God has designed us with this drive. So you deal with it. And, and then one day, hopefully, you get engaged and, uh, and then you look forward to it. That's it. But then you got to make sure, though, that you do your best to wait until it's the right time. Now, there is one other aspect of it. I, when I look at this, another angle, um, because sometimes... Uh, the whole thing about, you know, coming together, uh, people look at time and they're like, man, I've waited this long or whatever, I'm this age. And remember, like I always tell you guys, it's not about time, it's about timing. And I know like with my wife, when I saw her in high school, and actually I don't remember in high school because the Lord blinded my eyes because if I would have saw her, I would have just gone for it, right? And, you know, but it, it just didn't happen because it wasn't God's timing. So when it's God's timing, and it's beautiful. So just wait on the Lord for his timing. Verse 8, it says, The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping upon the mountain, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He's looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up. My love, my fair one, and come away. 
For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing is come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her fig, green figs, and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. O oh, my dove, in, in the clefts of the rocks, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. And so when she sees her, you know, her guy, you know, skipping in the mountains, like whatever this, you know, these really uh, strong um, uh, creatures, uh, the gazelle, the young stag, she's giving him a compliment in and of that, but she's also, I believe, saying um, that nothing, there's no mountain. That, that, would, that could stop my love from coming to me. You know, I was thinking about that song. I was listening to it earlier, Ain't No Mountain High Enough. I won't give you all the lyrics, but it, the first part of this song is applicable. The second part, probably not. But, you know, nothing is going to stop him from coming, and he comes, and he's looking for me. And he's basically, when you read the whole thing, we're not trying to get into it too much, but he's saying, come away. Let's go. Some would say he just wants to spend some time with her, and they want to go walking, and it's a springtime now. All the description there is like it's a new beginning. There's this new life that they're going to have together. Some say, again, to walk together. That I thought it was kind of cool, you know, in, in one sense, like the winter is past. The winter is past. Now it's springtime. And I was just thinking, and I don't know how you guys feel, but sometimes this is the way it is where a girl, before she meets the man that she's going to marry, before she meets the man that will love her with God's love, almost always is hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt. It's like the winter. And then the spring comes. It's a beautiful illustration here. It's a beautiful time of life. And so that's what we see here. He, he wants her to come and to walk and some even say maybe he's even you know calling her it's time to get married he wants to see her face and and hear her voice it's an intimacy that's lovely and sweet and deeper than any type of sexual intimacy notice her brothers it says in verse 15 catch us the foxes the little foxes that spoil the vines uh, for our vines have tender grapes and this is, uh, like Tony Evans said, a vivid way of addressing the, addressing the fact that little things can wreck a relationship. He said, marriages aren't usually destroyed by major issues or events. Rather, they're harmed by the little things that go unaddressed and they accumulate over time. So if you can visualize a little fox or a little gopher, a little creature that messes up the vines. And so in relationships, maybe in marriages, it could be little things. It could be money matters, random interests, distractions. Uh, something worse than not paying the bills is not paying attention. Um, undivided attention is what we need to give to each other. Busyness, laziness, neglect. You know, I mean, even some guys, well, I can't take her out. I don't got any money. Let me just go down, you know, get uh, my, my wife is so cool about that. She, you know, hey, baby, you want to go to Starbucks? And she'll be like, ooh, a little date. She says it like that, you know? And I'm thankful for that because she just gets water, man. <laughs> but it's just being together, being together. So, you know, we got to do our best not to make excuses. Um, maybe it's just a little time together, but if you don't take that little time together, sometimes it's the neglect that uh, that's the little fox, you know, that ruins the vines of fruitfulness. And so in verse 16, he says, uh, the Shulamite says, my beloved is mine and I am his. He feeds his flock among the lilies. And, and I love that. Um, we're going to see that again in chapter 6, verse 3. N not that, I mean, your spouse belongs to God, but in another sense, they, they belong to you. Uh, that's why I like to call Shelly Mia. She's mine, you know, and we see each other that way. Um, verse 17, it says to her beloved, until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, turn my beloved and be like a gazelle or a young stag, upon the mountains of Bether. And um, so, 
Again, uh, you guys, I don't even want to tell you what Bether is, but there's no, let's just say there's no mountains that are known named Bether. Some believe it's something else. I won't even tell you. Verse 1. It's probably a dream. It's probably a dream, but notice what happens. It says, By night on my bed, I sought the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. I will rise now, I said, and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. The watchmen who go about the city found me, and I said, Have you seen the one I love? And scarcely had I passed by them when I found the one I love, and I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him to the house of my mother and into the chamber of her who conceived me. And I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases God, right? That's pleases who pleases God. So when I first read this, I'm like, wow, what's going on here? And maybe it's something that actually happened, but most of the commentators say because of the fact that she says, by night in my bed, I saw the one I loved, that more than likely she's in reference to a dream or a nightmare that she had where it seemed like he wasn't there. And so here's the thing, you know, when you know it's the Lord who brings you together uh, prior to marriage, there should be this infinite appreciation for each other. And, and when you know it's the Lord, and then after marriage, of course, that gets amplified because you are now one in his sight, right? But um, unfortunately, um, what happens sometimes is you have these husbands or wives that don't appreciate each other anymore. They don't. And so, uh, again, another song I was thinking about, What a Fool Believes by the Doobie Brothers, you know, these guys, you know, he, he, he lost her. He lost her because he didn't realize what he had, how beautiful she was. And so, you know, I, I think that last portion right there is her kind of getting scared, and I think it can work both ways, you guys, as we invest in our relationships, as we invest in the Lord. And then ultimately, this is a great one to, to, to really then say, okay, we've been talking about, and you read commentaries as far as, well, what about Jesus? What about our relationship with Jesus? You know, have we been seeking him like this? Have we, to this point where we're going, where is the one I love? Where is the one I love? Where is he? And then when you find him, when you're back with him, you know, you don't let go. And so, um, I don't know, in closing, it's important to remember that the Bible is a love story. It really is. It's just summarized in this love story, right? And so husband and wife, you know, it's all this is applicable to us. And so hopefully um, we become more romantic. But then Christ and the church, you know, that's the main thing. And so um, Spurgeon said it stands in the middle of the Bible. It is the Holy of Holies, the central point of all. As married couples, what do you do? You leave and, and as Christian married couples, we do the same. We leave and we cleave to him. Amen?